adversity introduces a man unto himself. And I think about that all the time because it's only then that you realize who you are and what you are. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I'm Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content, husband of Brooke, and father of five young people. And I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, who happens to be my wife as well. Hey, guys, I'm Brooke, owner of Reclaim the Home, Justin's wife and mother of five. We're so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. So today's story is a super meaningful one for us here at Guild and in the Rickless family. Uh, We're joined today by a marketing leader of a major corporation in KC. And more importantly, well, at least to me, selfishly, she'll always carry the banner of the first Guild content client in the history of our company. Um, she's an avid runner. She's a steak lover. She's a sports fan. She's a wife, a mom, a dog mom, a Purdue Boilermaker, which we're going to figure out what the heck a Boilermaker is. Um, and she's the director of corporate communications for National Beef. And she's an all-around tremendous, full-hearted woman. So welcome to the show, Marcy Johnson. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Justin, because I love being your very first client because I'm probably your biggest fan. So I am so glad that we get to work together on all the great stuff that we create for National Beef. I love it. Marcy, so great to have you here. Excited to unpack your story. But first, we like to ask all of our guests to give us a little quick intro, a background of who you are, where you're from, and just a little about your childhood. Well, I am from the great state of Indiana. Uh, Spent the first 25 years of my life living there. Um, I grew up in southern Indiana um, in a little town called French Lick, which happens to be the home of Larry Bird. Um, That's our big claim to fame in southern Indiana. Do you know Larry Bird? Yes. Come on, tell us that. Well, the real story is my my dad was a high school football coach, and um, Larry Bird, when he was a freshman in high school, played football, little known fact, um, at Springs Valley High School, which is where my dad coached. And... When you live in a town of 2,000 people, you know everyone. So everyone knew Larry, but Larry wasn't a star then. He was just a little skinny, scrawny kid. Um, But he he played freshman football, and he broke his arm. And so my dad had forever told the story that his his shot really was about how his arm healed, and he takes credit for Larry being such a great (laughs) basketball player. I'm kind of kidding about that, but it is. um, But, yeah, in in the town of French Lick, he's um, uh, uh, just Larry. And, um, but he's a great man who's done a lot of great things in the state of Indiana. And it was fun growing up knowing he was just a few years older than me. That's Very amazing. Cool. Larry Legend, man. Who would have known? Yeah. French Lake, Indiana. So I cut you off, but continue. So childhood, tell so us I, more about yourself. So I lived in Indiana, grew up on a, on a farm. Um, my dad used to say we always, he farmed for fun, not for a living. Um, we raised uh, registered Angus cattle and... Um, I loved that part of my growing up years. I was the one kid in my family of four, four children in my family. I'm number two. Um, I loved the farm, and, I, and it instilled in me this love of agriculture, and I like to say love of the land, and um, it's something that I have stayed true to my entire life. Um, 
So anyway, I grew up there. We moved to Bedford, the big town of Bedford, Indiana, um, when I was 11. Um, and I graduated from high school there and went to Purdue, um, which is about three and a half hours away back then. It's a little closer now because we have better highways. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I um, studied animal science. And um, again, my, my love of the land and um, I was very interested in, in agriculture and even thought at one time that I would um, probably work in production agriculture. But um, I ha- my three siblings um, all went to Notre Dame, and we used to laugh that mm. Marcy has a, a bigger love for cows than God, which is not true, <laughs> but they all laughed the why, why I didn't go to Notre Dame. But um, they didn't have an ag school, so I didn't, I didn't have that option. But anyway, um, so I... That's that was kind of my my growing up. Love it. So, what is a boilermaker? Well, there's a, multiple definitions of boilermaker. If there's a drink, like a maker of boilers. Um, no, not they. Yes, they work in a. a um, boilermakers are kind of um, like tough. Yeah, really tough guys. Like steel and, worker type kind of thing. Yeah, like okay. But Early you know, in. working in in a boiler, um, and I, you know, what I, I should know that probably the whole history, but I really don't. Um, when I was in college, a boilermaker is you know you drop a shot of whiskey in a beer and <laughs> drink great. it. That was a boilermaker. Um, but <clears throat> love the love my Purdue boilermakers. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't that's awesome. That. That's awesome. I don't know that story. That's awesome. So, lover of the land, French Lake, Indiana. Raised on a farm, and and I'm gonna. Were you asked to do do chores on your farm? Is that, you know, I, my memory of that versus my parents' memory is pretty funny because I think yes, we did do chores. Nothing like a lot of people that grow up on a working farm. Um, you know, I didn't have to get, get up, up before, before school, school and yeah. milk cows or anything. We didn't do that, but we did chores, and we, you know, like a lot of farm kids, we. I just remember my dad used to get up in the morning and say. Everybody outside. Like, there was no sitting around in the huh. house. You didn't get to hang out. Um, Did you play on the iPad a lot? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like none of that. My kids would be screwed. No iPad. You watch YouTube all day? <laughs> Got it. Yeah. None of that stuff. But we spent a lot of time outside because that's what we did. And when I was little, we raised, we had hogs and cattle. And um, my you dad had this. feed them. And yep. And I showed cattle all, when I was in middle school and high school. And my dad um, had this really great idea one summer when we were all in college that for money, for a job, we would raise an acre of cucumbers and sell them as pickles. You know, so, you know, pickles are just cucumbers picked earlier than the, the big ones. So an acre of pickles is a huge amount of, a lot of and it's all work done by hand. And we'd have to, now, I mean, so I... So you'd actually pickle them? And ju- no, we no. sold them to the pickle plant. Gotcha. Um, we, we took them to this to a place that processed them, but we had to, we planted pick the, them. We had to pick them, yeah. and you, they're in Say rows, and right. you throw this, you, you know, you throw the vines back, and then you pick. And you have to pick, in the heat of summer, twice a day, because they grow so quickly. Wow. I use the expression often about little children like a cucumber because they literally explode overnight they go from this big to this you know they just grow very rapidly um but anyway all four of us kids at the time uh worked raising uh, raising those pickles and we <laughs> thought it was the worst work ever sure <laughs> was, well, of course my dad thought it was great because we all had to work a little harder and you than had a summer job yeah and we made a lot of money because pickles 
actually make a lot of money per acre relative to corn or soybeans, mm. other things we grow in Indiana. So um, it was hard work and it was fun, but I was glad to not have to do that again. You, did, did that pave the way, though? Like, did that work, either ethic or responsibility or whatever? Like, did that pave the way for any of your kind of future career or just habits that you've kind of formed in life? I, I feel like that everything about growing up in the way we were raised, it did that for all myself and all my siblings because they're really, I mean, I mean that when I said my dad would be, no one got to, we didn't sit around. Like I can think back in my whole life, I never saw my dad sit down, put his feet up, mm. watch TV. It just, it's just one in him. And, and therefore it really wasn't what we did. You watched that. Yeah. The downside to that is I, I feel like I don't know how to relax. Mm. I'm not a very relaxed person. And I, I make everyone crazy around me cause I'm just always in motion. But, um, I remember my dad coming to visit us when my kids were little. And, you know, as you guys know, because you're in that mode of running, kids going everywhere, activities. And he's like, you need to sit down. And I'm like, Dad, I, nev- I never saw you sit down. You I were the role the model my whole life. I don't even know what that is. So, But absolutely, I think it, it, it just is what I knew. And so it's what I became. Yeah, that's so good. So we all start kind of our non- boilermaker journey somewhere right like the the post-college like quote-unquote real world what that looked like for you like where was your first job like what what happened after after college well I when I graduated I went to work for the university for the first five years after college I worked for Purdue for the cooperative extension service so I don't know if you know what that is but that's that's an educational arm in land-grant universities and um, so you have in every county Okay. There's an extension office, and my job was what we called a youth agent. So I, I was responsible for the 4-H program in that county, mm. and um, I worked in southern Indiana in a, about an hour and a half from where I grew up in a small county, and after two years, I transferred to all the way to the northern part of the state um, to a it's, – it's called Marshall County, and it, it's a huge livestock county in the 4-H program. We showed a 1,000 steers at our county fair, which is unbelievable. We don't show that many in Missouri State Fair. Wow. Um, but it's a great county great, full of great people who had built a program, and I just kind of got to walk in and be a part of it, honestly. Um, and I, it was a great experience because volunteers run those kind of programs in counties, and I just learned a lot about leadership in, in those years oh, from working with those people. That's awesome. I have a really random 4-H story <laughs> and broke rolls her eyes. I went to 4-H camp, yeah, and we got confused. I was with a buddy who's still a buddy. We were kids at the time, and not from an agricultural background. Had cousins and relatives at farm, but, like, I was definitely, like, fish out of water. And our moms were picking us up, and there was, like, this bus line, and then there was, like, this car rider line, in essence, and essentially, we forgot that they were picking us up, so we got on a random bus um, <laughs> and then freaked out because we were like, well, we're going the wrong way. So we, we might even cut that story because it has nothing to do with anything. Um, but anyway, I, I'm definitely I not, uh, I, I was not an, I was not a future farmer of America. That's for dang sure. Um, but, but it does make me think like... Hard work and Justin are two things that 
That what? Hard manual labor work uh-huh. in Justin. Yeah, not my biggest. Yeah, <laughs> not my biggest strength. That's for sure. But but it, it does like as I've gotten to know you kind of through work things through the Chiefs and our our, our relationship now at Guild. Um, I, I've always been impressed by your your storytelling ability, your ability to kind of connect um, uh, emotional components into like work. Right. And, and the mm, kind of, experience. yeah. And so where did that kind of get fostered? And, and, and maybe more specifically, like as you graduate, you, you kind of grew through your career, like what was your next step beyond the Purdue piece? And, and how did you kind of get into this marketing and storytelling environment? There's my direct question. I'm sorry. It took me five minutes to get to it. <laughs> well, I, I think, I mean, if I really give credit in my life when I look back on this, I, I think I come from a family that is, is storytellers. My mother is very gifted uh, speaker and writer, and her mother, um, my grandmother, um, had a she had a master's degree in biology, you know, and graduated from college in the late nineteen, early nineteen twenties. Wow. Which, you know, women didn't go to college and certainly didn't major in biology. Um, she was a brilliant woman, and she was a very accomplished. Um, she was a minister, and she, she, just, she was a great storyteller. She spoke all I, – I just remember growing up listening to her preach, and she was great at that. So I kind of think I come from a long line of that. But, um, but when, I left, when I left working for the um, Extension Service, I came to Missouri – why? And my, well, Greg, my husband will tell you that I chased him across the country, but the reality <laughs> was we were right. dating and I wanted to be, we decided we needed to be in the same part of, same city to decide if this was going to go anywhere. Make it or not, yep. So I moved, I quit my job, cold turkey. I just, I quit, I'm going to move to Missouri, which my parents just will roll their eyes about to this day <laughs> because I thought, well, I've been on college five years, I'm, I got it going on, I, I'm just going to be great. That's not how it was. You know, I moved to Missouri. I didn't know anyone here except Greg. And I, the first day I was here, I, went, I got a job. I went to the Jones store and applied for a job so I could at least pay my bills while I'm looking for a real job. Sure. And they hired me and paid me 10 cents an hour over minimum wage because I had a college degree. And I worked 40 hours a week wow. in the shoe department at the Jones store at oh. Metro North. Um, it was a very humbling experience for me. It was very humbling because you helping people buy shoes is not a very fun job. Um, but I worked every single day because I had to pay my bills while I was, in my, my words, I kept saying, looking for my real job. Anyway, it took me nine months to find a real job. I had zero money that whole time, and my parents still think it was a great learning experience for me. And they're right. I mean, I, I would think, what can I go to the grocery store and buy that's like $5? <laughs> I mean, I had no money, and it taught me a lot of things. Um, we always the, tell our kids that hard doesn't mean bad. And that's right. I think going through the hard always feels terrible. And you think, why is this happening? This shouldn't be this way. And yet when you can look back on it at the end, it actually has produced some really neat things. It's an appreciation for a lot of things. And it is, um, I mean, and it, it didn't kill me. It was, you know, I mean, that's the other thing. You're like, okay, was that really that bad? It Looking back, it always looks uh, looks a lot better. But, but it also um, I I learned the process of finding a job in a city where you know no one. And I tell my girls, I mean, you know, as they were 
getting out of college and looking. I'm like, life is all about who you know. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think that's a great thing. And it is important that you build a network. And I've spent my career trying to do that. You need, I, I, to, like to take pride in going somewhere that I know people. I don't mm. want to come into a room and say, I don't know anyone here. Mm. I, I rarely can say that. Um, but it, it took me nine months to find a job, and I went to work for Farmland Industries, and I was there for 17 years. Wow. And I loved Farmland. I loved the people. I loved the company. I, I probably would have stayed there forever had Farmland not changed their path. Um, I loved it, and it was a wonderful career and a, a great opportunity. And and it, along that 17-year journey, was that primarily in the marketing space? Was it in, like, what what was yeah. some of the, the specific roles? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really work? answer your question about how That's we okay. get to the storytelling piece. So when I went to work there, they were starting a new role in, a, in their pet food division, which is part of the feed division. Um, and I remember distinctly saying pet food. I work in production agriculture, and pets are kind of a negative thing because they don't make you any money, right, in the world of huh. production ag. So I'm like, uh, okay, whatever, I need a it. job. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into the rest of my career. I stayed in pet food because I loved it. And it's still an industry that is, you know, it, it's a very passionate uh, buyer and a very passionate customer in, in the pet world because nobody – if you think, you know, we like to say people, if you want to get people to talk about something, you ask them about their kids or you ask them about their dog. And uh, they're such an important part of our family, pets are. And I loved that. So I embraced that and um, I stayed in the pet industry then most of my career until I came to National Beef. But there's a, there's a stop after that, right? Farmland went yes. to, okay. Because that I think that story, the, the whole the pet food story at Greenies is, is a fascinating one. So tell us that. Well, after when I, when farmland, um, we, we, you know, our, my job was going to be, it was going away like a lot of jobs at farmland and, and it was going to require relocation. And so I chose not to do that. My, my daughters were just entering middle school and I didn't feel like that was a good time to relocate. Pick up and move. Yeah. And so I went to work for a, a gentleman that I went to church with who has started this, little company and he was selling dog treats and I remember he came and talked to me about it on Palm Sunday um we were at a retreat and he said so Marcy when are you going to come to work for me and I was like I'm not coming to work for this little company I work for farmland industry I work for a big <laughs> company I am not working for a little company and I'm like yeah, I kind of ignored it and then he talked to me again and again and finally I was like Okay, I think I'll do this until I find something I like better. It was your equivalent. until I find a real yeah. job. <laughs> yes, and I will say um, that it was the it was the best part of my entire working career, um, the years that I was there. But he had invented a product that we now now know as Greenies, um, a pet treat that at that time was a tiny little company, and he literally was putting in in little baggies and selling it in his out of his garage. He and his wife driving around the country, going to, to trade shows and just trying to get anybody to listen to their story. And I was the 22nd employee of Greenies, um, and I was there four and a half years, and um, we went from, we, we, when I started there, we had less than $5 million in sales, and we sold that, he sold, Joe and Judy sold that company um, to Mars, in 2006 and um mars meaning like owner of m&ms yes mars yeah for clarity largest pet <laughs> food 
manufacturer in the world. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, Pedigree, you know that name? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a Mars. And many, many, many brands they have owned since then, but that was kind of their beginning their brand. Name, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, and we were at that time the eighth largest pet treat company in the world. Whoa. So they had gone from this, I'm selling it, you know, in my garage. they had this beautiful image. And um, the storytelling there was so much fun because we, we had a group of people that came together very unlikely. Um, from all different walks of life, and built a brand from nothing, um, and the uh, the idea was to how do you how do you take a product and how do you tell people the story, and and it became very personal. It became very, um, I mean, we we all felt like we owned that, and I believe that that belief mm. is what drove it our success. Oh so well, yeah, yeah. So Are well, you still in touch with them today? Oh yes, they. I still go to church with them, so I see them, um, and they. You know, they have done other things and continue to be successful in many ways, um, as have all of my coworkers at Greenies, and we've all kind of scattered, but we all will remember that as just a real highlight in our working careers. What a neat experience! That's awesome. And so you, I interrupted you as as per usual, um, but you said that in 2006 they sold the Mars. Was there a is there a public number that they sold for? Like, is that public knowledge? Okay, okay, but it was more than more than the five million that you, they, that you came <laughs> yes. in to, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which, we, of course, we can, that we can. It's fair to say it's bigger than that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. What a, what a cool deal. Okay, Brooke, I'm sorry. No, you've touched on this a little bit. Some of the lessons you've learned along the way, but as you've grown in your career, your responsibility and influence, is there anything that stands out that you can share with us as to lessons learned? Um, Good or bad? Um, I think that probably early on in my career, I, I, I love people, so it it's, it's easy evident. for me to say that hmm. um, being being part of a team has always been really important to me. I don't really like to work by myself. I like to be a part of something. I really believe that two and two is always going to equal more than four, and one and one is always going to equal more than two if you if you put good minds together, you end up with lots better things. And so I used to say this to my team, you know, you, you throw a raw idea out there and it's good, but when everybody adds to it, we have a great idea because I'm not going to think of everything that you are. And collectively we do a lot. So collaboration has always been um, important. And it's, it just happens when you build a culture of that and you make everybody's, everyone's opinion matters and everybody's, um, two cents are, are something we ask for and listen to. And um, I think I, I had some really great mentors along the way. And as you we said earlier, sometimes bad things we learn from. Um, you know, I had some people that I reported to that I learned that I wouldn't want to do things that way. Mm-hmm. Because um, you learn as well f- from that. Like, oh, I want to I do I better be at involving people than that. Um, but I, I really was, I've been blessed my whole, all my working career. I've really worked with great people. And that, that makes it fun. Makes it fun to get up and go to work every day. So good. So good. So we know your today job, but post Greenies, after Mars bought them for mm-hmm. an undisclosed amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> um, which makes me incredibly jealous. No, I'm kidding. Um, all of us. What, what happened? Like, then what? You landed where? So. When Mars um, bought us, again, my job was going to relocate, and um, I, 
I didn't want to do that. So I went, I had a, a friend who worked at National Beef. And back when I was at Farmland, Farmland actually owned National Beef for a, a period of time. So it wasn't a company that I wasn't a, a, aware of. Um, but I went to work at National Beef in, in a marketing role, and they were had at that time just purchased a tannery in St. Joe. Tell people what a tannery is. Okay, so a tannery is, you know, we at National Beef, we process cattle. So when you process cattle, we, we use every bit of the animal. The, the, the hides come off the animal in those big processing plants. And now we have a tannery where we'll t- we take those hides and we preserve that hide into what the, is called wet blue leather. And then we sell that to leather manufacturers around the world who take the hides and, and create leather. And they then sell that leather to brands who make Purses, other products. Bags, Shoes, anything. handbags, mm-hmm. upholstery. Gucci belts, for example. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Brooke, your favorite. Brooke hates Gucci belts, for the record. <laughs> I don't like major brands. I just, I don't. Yeah, not our thing. Not I, my thing. I understand. For all of our listeners who are wearing Gucci belts right now, we love you. You look great. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. So anyway, I went, I, my job was to, um, write a marketing plan for what are we going to do? How are we going to sell this product? Well, I never even heard the term wet blue leather when I went to work there. But again, the challenge is this is uh, maybe if we go back to the question of lessons learned. When I left farmland after 17 years, I thought, what am I going to do? I can't possibly do. I mean, this is what I've known. This is what I do. I know these people. I know these products. And what I learned at Greenies was, you know, it doesn't really matter what the product you use the same, I mean, it's marketing a product, no matter what the product is, um, tactically, um, many, of the same, many of the same tactics, but you use the same process to think or through skill it. skill set. And, and I, I learned that about myself at that point. I can take what I know, and I can use it in a different industry. Mm-hmm. I can use it in a, in a different company, and I can be successful. And I, I wasn't sure of that when I left Farmland. I was, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm washed up my career's over (laughs) so once that happened at greenies all of a sudden i'm like you know what i can do this anywhere i can i can learn a a product or an industry and um apply what i know so that's all i knew how to do that's what i did and um we developed this great marketing plan and we and i traveled literally around the world for five years selling our leather products um all over the world primarily that's in asian um, countries and in italy and it was a wonderful learning experience. I mean, I learned totally. so much. I didn't. I'd never been to most of those places, so I got. A, I got to. I had an opportunity that late in my career to learn something new, which I will always be grateful for because you don't always get that opportunity. And to say start over with something you know nothing about, but I spent the first three months I was there research, 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 learning everything I could, reading everything I could, trying to meet everybody in the industry, and reaching out and and asking questions. and And I it I didn't have to play dumb because I was dumb. I'm just like I don't know. Tell me about that. How do you do that? Why do we do that? And I learned a lot. And um, it was a lot of fun. It well, I think fun. it's neat that you say um, after Greenies, I thought, well, my career's over. I'm washed up. But you didn't give up. You you continued to go and to learn, and and then you had this light bulb moment of, oh wait, I have this skill set. It can apply to this or that or this job, and that's just such a neat thing that you pushed through that adversity or that fear to get mm-hmm. to that other side. You know, I had a young man that worked for me, worked with me, 
at Greenies, and he told me a story once. Um, he had lost a brother in an accident, and um, he was a fabulous young man. He was in college, and I learned so much from him because he was very insightful. But he told me a quote that I've never forgotten. And um, He said, you know, adversity introduces a man unto himself. And I think about that all the time mm. because it's only then that you realize who you are and what you are. And a lot of times, really, what you're overcoming is you. Absolutely. It's your own mind, right? Mm -hmm. Don't we know that to be true? How neat. It's so good. And, and, and I'm going to get into this a little bit deeper because I think it's so relevant in today's kind of work culture in the sense that um, lots of times there's this kind of rejection of responsibility, meaning like, oh, it's the boss's fault or it's the economics fault or it's the um, market conditions fault or all of these different things. And like that. And, and I loved how Brooke phrased that. But you, um, in, in essence, reimagined yourself. You, you took the responsibility to say, no, it's my job to like ask these questions and be naive enough to ask the, the quote unquote dumb questions, which which most likely in all actuality, like drew people to you, right? Like you showed this kind of vulnerable and where I'm going is like, how do you, how do you today in your role at National Beef, big company, lots of influence, like how do you kind of bring the, the softer heart? Humble side. Yeah. Like how do you bring these kind of softer elements into um, work culture? How do you do that? And why do you do that? Well, you know, it isn't it isn't always in vogue to do that, right? It's kind of it's fun to be tough and um, separate your your personal life from your work life. And people, there's a lot of people who believe that. I did that. Yeah, I mean, it, and it, it about burned it, my life down. But it also works. Like that th that works for many people to be able to compartmentalize and say, and and it's not necessarily a good or a bad or a wrong or a right thing. I think you have to decide for yourself what it is, but. Like you were saying, that isn't how you are. It isn't how you've done things, and it is kind of taboo. But this has worked well for you. So elaborate on that maybe a little bit. Well, I think, I mean, to your point, it isn't, we're all different, and we all approach the way we do things differently. But at the end of the day, we're all people who live in this world. And what we do during the day, I say this often. I, I tell people, this is my real job. My real <laughs> job is being a mom. Mm. You know, my most important job, and when I think about when I leave this earth, what will I be most proud of? It, it'll be the people I raised. I, Shoot, I would that's like a to question that. at the end. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that um, it, it work does define us, and we say, oh, it shouldn't define us, and you don't let your job define you. But I, I've done that. I, I very much identify with what I'm doing as who I am. That's and a huge part of your life. It is. It's a big part of every day, right? And right or wrong, because I, I know there's a lot of people who would criticize that. But for me, because it is a big part of what I do, I have to integrate. I have to be, it has to be who I am. And, and we are people. And when you get to, when you get past the toughness on the outside, everyone has you know, there's a place where they can talk and they can be real. Um, the toughest people that I've dealt with in my entire career, the people that are so difficult to work with, once you can get them talking about themselves or their grandkids or their children, it, everything changes, right? Because they're people too. Mm -hmm. And while they have a persona that they want to have in their workplace, they still have a, a real life, in my quotations, 
And so I feel like what, what I've had the opportunity to do, and that's an opportunity that was given to me by our, you know, our senior team. If, if the culture wouldn't allow it, it wouldn't be able to happen. Sure. Um, but they're ready for it because the world is, re- you know, our company's ready for it. Um, a chance to, to tell our story and, and to pass that story along because it is a great story. And if you don't document it and write it down, and it's no different than in our families. We don't, we don't have a history of it. Um, I think that our company, like most companies, is very proud of wh- where they've come from and what they've done. As they and should be, yeah. Yes, and as they should be. And it's nice to preserve that story for future generations by, by telling it. We like to say here at Guild that stories connect us all. And I think that it's in that relationship or being able, like you said, to relate to someone with the commonality that we're all human. We all have feelings and fears and worries and concerns. And when you can get to that layer, it's so much easier to connect. Yes, absolutely. So good. Um, I, I'm just curious, maybe there isn't like proof yet, but the payoff is in this softer, vulnerable, emotional state that we all kind of, I, I think, again, guilty party here of like guy who compartmentalized life and was like dad guy here and husband guy here and schmooze guy here and sales guy here and suck up to the boss guy here, right? Like I compartmentalized lots of my, my life. And as, as, as that's becoming more integrated, I love your word, um, I'm realizing like, oh, like it actually does it not just as the, maybe the, the right thing to do or the healthy thing to do, but like it actually has real benefit in, in terms of, uh, I think trust, I think connection, I think like and you've been on this side of the phone call when I call and say, Marcy, I screwed up. Like, I, I'm in over my head. I, I did this thing again. I do it again. I'm sorry. Um, like, I, I think that my long-winded question, as per usual, is, like, does this softer emotional stuff that you are bringing into every environment you're in, um, does that have a, like, real payoff, like a real financial, relational, emotional payoff? Well, I, you know, I guess it's, um, it's maybe hard to answer the what, I don't know. I think that it is who I am. And so it is all I know. And sometimes whether it's right or not, it, it has worked for me. Um, you know, my dad used to say, and he was quoting someone else. These aren't his words, but the quotes of, um, if you always tell the truth, you don't have to worry about what you said. And I find that to be true in your, it, when you, back to that word, integrate every part of your life, every day, you don't, you don't have to be, now, who am I, mm. who am I with my church friends? Who am I with my, my work friends? Who am I with my soccer mom friends? If you're the same person in all of those places, it, your life's a lot easier. And, and I feel like that's something that you kind of just learned along the way, and you say, well, Am I representing myself in the best way everywhere I am? Will you repeat that quote? Which quote? From your dad. Oh, um, if you always Always tell tell the the truth, truth. you don't have to remember what you said. So good. I need to tell my kids that tonight. (laughs) (laughs) You sure you tell the truth, bro? (laughs) That's so good. I think about the times, though, when I haven't, and it's the right. Now, what did I say? Did I say and how do that I have did to I say that? Yes. Well, we always tell our kids a lie only produces more lies yeah. because you have to remember your first lie and then 
decide how you're going to cover up that lie. So yeah. I love that quote. Awesome. Um, so there's other parts of you that are integrated. So tell us like some of the other things, like the work stuff's awesome, but who else is Marcy Johnson? Like what else are you into? Well, I'm, um, I'm, I'm a runner and I, I say that, you know, I used to say I run, but I, but I, I like to say I am a runner because I've been running for, um, I was just doing the math on this. It's 37 years and I run almost every, I mean, not every morning. I run five mornings a week. Um, What's morning mean? Like 9 a.m.? 5 a.m. 5 a.m. Uh, you've heard this, Justin, I've told you this many times, but we, I have some friends. We run together five at five. So we run five miles at 5 a.m. And um, it's just been a, it's just, some, I've run at an early, like I've been an early warm, morning primarily? Runner. No. Only when it's warm? No, we run year round. <laughs> we, we ran this morning. Um, but it, it's become, you know, it's as much mental therapy as it is physical therapy for me. I, I, we talk and we, um, work out the day's issues. And, um, but before this group of girls that I run with, there's three of us. I used to run when I first, um, when I was at 25, I had a friend that, um, we, we decided to start running together and she worked early morning. So we ran late at night. We ran at nine 30 or 10 wow. in the evening and you just find a way to do it. But for me, running's just always been a part of what I do. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I can't believe you get up. Well, I don't know any different. I don't know what other than get up and go run. I do that before I do anything. And I, I it's just part of me. So that's that's something that I do. That's part of who Marcy Johnson is. Um, the other place that I spend my time, um, besides with my family, is my church. Mm -hmm. I'm it's my, I would say my second home in this city. Um, I, I love being involved. Uh, I don't like to, I don't like to be a participant. I like to be really involved in things I do. So I'm either going to play hard or I'm mm -hmm. not going to play. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <laughs> I love my, I love my church family. Um, I, I'm involved in a lot of different things. Um, I've been a lector for almost 30 years, a long time. Um, and, um, I'm a Eucharistic minister and I, um, I've worked with our giving tree program and I've worked in our RCIA program and, um, I've taught, uh, PSR and I, have just kind of done a lot of, uh, over the years, I just kind of, whatever, whatever stage of life I was in, I tried to be involved. Um, it's a big part of my, mm. it's just a big part of what I do. So, um, and then the other kind of passion I have for in, in, currently in this city, I, I, I serve on the developmental board at um, Ronald McDonald House downtown, and I love that charity, and I love what they accomplish. And um, I have—I've already told them I have my retirement job picked out. Uh, there's a lady that every <laughs> every day she is, she's like the volunteer coordinator, so she goes and helps people when they you know fam, mm -hmm. um, volunteer groups come in there and prepare meals every night. Yeah, we've done it with uh, our girls' basketball teams. Yes, such and a so neat you, thing. you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So this lady is the person who says. Here's where the silverware is. Here's where the dishes are. And so she's there every day from like four to six. And I'm like, oh, perfect retirement job. <laughs> I'm looking forward to finding a place for myself there when I, um, when I have more freedom in my schedule. But that's just a, uh, well, you guys know that. They're a wonderful organization and do so much good. They do. So anyway, I don't know. Those are some things about me. I, my girls played soccer, and we were soccer parents for a long, long time. 
still a soccer fan. My girls are grown, but um, we, uh, we, we, like you guys, are very involved in whatever your kids are doing. And whatever they had chosen, we would have chosen as well. Yeah. So, Very neat. Well, one of the mottos here at Guild is go for it. And I don't know if you've heard that from Justin or not. So do you, can you think of any areas in your life where you're like, you know what, that was one place where I just made the decision to go for it? Um, yes. Well, I've only run one marathon in my life, and I, I was young, 35, and I um, decided that I want to do that. And that is still something that I want to accomplish. It's still on my bucket list to do it again. And I have Where'd you run? What marathon? Chicago. Okay. Wow. And it was a blast. Like, I really started crying when it was over because I, I didn't want it to be over. You know, you work so long for it. And I've huh. told young people since then, um, running a marathon isn't about the event. It's the training. It's the process of getting there. Same with a half marathon. It's you need to enjoy the, the whole process. journey because it's not about that one race. Um, it's the, the prep for that is it's a lot. It's a big it's a big commitment. And um, I was proud of that, and I'd, I'd like to do that again in my life. But Is that a lesson that can be applied to life, what you just said? Enjoy the journey. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think, it, and I we, mean, again, therapy maybe for me, but I'm going, man, I'm so focused lots of times on the end line, get there? the finish line, that, hey, let, let's be done with this marathon so we can start the next one. Right. That, that And Brooke's brilliant at helping me see, like, no, 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 like the today the mindful kind of present awareness of like today, this conversation, this moment, this day. And, and of course, like you can take that too far, but like, I love that analogy. It's so helpful to say like, man, you, you, you wept at the end of the thing because you were so present in the moment. So I, I think that, that's not, that doesn't come natural for everyone. And, it, and I'll be honest, it doesn't come natural for me. I'm pretty bad about that. I, I do spend a lot of time worrying about the future and, being regretful of the past. I do. So I, I can say do as I say, not as I do sometimes, but I, that it definitely is a, it, it's a focus. And the older I get, the more I think about the, you know, it, it, we're only here once and it's a short time in the scheme of things. And so every day has to matter. Every day has to matter. And um, so, yeah, I think that that's a, it, it was a good lesson, but, but when I think about it from a career standpoint, something I, a monumental moment of I, I learned something and I never I never repeated it. Um, when I was young, still at farmland, um, my immediate supervisor um, was let go one day, and I felt like I was kind of in line to take that role at sure some point. And I was and our our vice president called me in his office and he said so. You know, I'm going to be interviewing for this role, and do you have suggestions? And I, I was like, oh, I was wishing he had said, well, Marcy, we were I'm going to talk to you about this. And I, so I'm like, well, you know, I kind of hem-hawed around, and I gave him a name or something. Well, they ended up hiring somebody, and when they hired him, he asked me, so what did you think? And I'm like, I wasn't very impressed with our hire. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I, I wouldn't have hired him. And he's, and I said, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, I kind of had my feelings hurt because I didn't understand why if you would hire him you wouldn't have considered me for this position and he said that's exactly what I wanted you to say when I called you in my office I wanted you I wanted to know that you were ready for this and that you had the confidence to take this and I didn't get that well and I was taken aback because I felt like I was 
but that was a lesson. So a couple years later, of course, I was right. That, that person was not the right hire. Um, moved on. That person moved on. And I walked right into his office and I said, I right. am ready for this role. And he put me in that position. And I just, the lesson for me was, the worst thing that could have happened was, I could have asked for it and he said, you're not ready. But the worst thing that did happen was I didn't even ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I tell my girls that all the time. Ask, what's the worst thing that can happen? If you're not ready, then you learn and you get ready. Mm-hmm. But I, get, I, I feel like I don't know if he would have put me in that position because maybe I really wasn't ready at that point, even though in my mind I thought I was. But I got myself ready, <laughs> and I was ready the next time it came. So that was a great lesson for me. That's awesome, and I think it, it resonates with me deeply because it's like I think so often we – we wait for this like permission or we wait for yes. somebody to pick us. Yes. Like, like like we're standing at recess and we're going, man, I hope, I hope the captain picks me to do something cool. Right. Yes. Um, and we have this fear of not being picked. At least I do. But I, I think is like life is evolving and our world is changing and business is changing. It's like, no, like we need people to stand up and take initiative. Yeah. We need people to like do stuff and we're going to screw up and we're going to make mistakes. Um, but, but you personally validated as Brooke and I were kind of going through this dream stage of, Hey, guild is maybe going to be a thing and maybe there's going to be some opportunity here. Um, and I started through some friends and some, some really trusted relationships, planting the seeds. I thought, Holy cow, like I, I need to step up and like take initiative and ask if this is a good idea instead of waiting around to be picked. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that, that resonates with me deeply that you, you learn that lesson, and then the next time you're like, no, 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 man, like, I want that job. Right. Well, <laughs> but that's not easy to do. It's not easy, and and I don't know that every time in every situation I I have the, I have the confidence to do that. But but that is that's the lesson, and that and I I certainly would strive for that, you know, because I think the the worst regret, you know, we, we read this all the time, right? The the worst um or you only remember the shots you never took. Huh. That's a shot I never took. Did Larry Bird say that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. But it's true, right? And for sure. I'd rather I'd rather go down swinging than you know. At least I at least I put my threw my name in the hat. And okay, I'm not always the best qualified. I'm not necessarily the right person, or that wasn't the right fit for me, perhaps. But but I learned something from that, and I go back and figure out how I can get ready. So so good. All right, we are we are already like uh, I could do this all day we could do this all day um, but we know you have a, a big job to get back to but before we kind of wrap things up couple couple questions I'll ask one and then Brooke will ask one um, but what does what does success look like for you today and and maybe contrast that with like what you thought success looked like when you were starting out um, it's interesting at the I don't want to say twilight of your career, but I, but it, truly relative to the rest second of my half. life. Yeah. Second half. Second half. Um, it, it's very different and definitely I would define it differently because there was a time when everything was about the next position, the next um, promotion, um, who can I be? And I don't have that. I, I don't have that need anymore because first of all, I, I do have enough confidence or I don't know if confidence is the right word, but a I feel like I've accomplished a lot of things in my it personally, and I'm not talking about professionally, but just where I've wanted to be and what I've done. I, I'm I'm happy with that. 
Um, I feel like I've, I've, I've laid it all out there. I've given everything I can and I don't need to prove it to myself anymore. And that's the, that's where, that's Mm. when things changed. I don't have anything to prove to myself. I know I can do it. I know the next job that came along, I could figure it out. I, I might have to learn what, what blue leather is again, but I know I could do it. I no longer wonder if I can do it. Um, so to me, success is coming to work and, and, uh, and accomplishing whatever that task list is, whatever that project is that's out there, and, um, and looking for another one. Mm-hmm. And having, having something to keep you going every day um, versus another step on the ladder. I don't I don't have an, a desire to do something different. I like what I'm doing, and I like what I'm able to contribute. Um, and I think that's probably the most important thing. I want to feel every day when I go home that I contributed. Um, I, I always say I'm going to give more than I take from any organization. I, I don't ever want to feel like I didn't give more than I was asked to give. Um, and I, 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 feel, I feel good about where I am right now, so... So I feel like I already have success. I've, I've had plenty of, I've been blessed in my whole career with lots of great opportunities. Well said. Let's move on. Uh, we have an area in our podcast called Teach and Encourage, although I feel like our entire time with you has been, has been that. Um, so our question for you is, if you were writing a letter to 18-year-old Marcy, what would you tell her? Yeah. Um, I think I would tell myself to, something my dad would have told me that I didn't do very well. <laughs> I, my lesson looking back would be to not take myself so seriously and not to take life so seriously. Um, I'm, I'm pretty hard on myself, and I, I'm so uh, – sometimes I lose focus of the big picture like we just talked about because I'm – Looking I'm, in I'm, a microscope or so. And, and I'm, too, I'm too critical of myself. Um, and I don't enjoy it because I'm too busy going, oh, I didn't do that right. I wasn't that good. And, um, and, and life's just too short to spend like that. And I've done a lot of that in my life. So if I could give myself advice looking back, I would say lighten up <laughs> and enjoy the ride more than you have instead of working toward that end goal. Mm-hmm. And we know not to like stay in the, in the hard parts, but I think it is part of your story that you lost your father a few years ago. And things have changed with your mom. You're not next door to her anymore. Like, as you've as you've gone through some of those harder life moments, ever I, I would way rather talk about the fun stuff all day long. <laughs> um, and Brooke is is so helpful to me to like, hey, the pain is actually where healing happens. The pain is where you can grow. The pain, like she said earlier, the hard isn't bad. Um, what are maybe some some? How'd you get through? Like, how'd you? How'd you cope? How did you learn and grow from from a tough season? Well, I think that um, my mother led us all through that um, because in I think as you know, even as old as I am, um, I, I never really believed that my dad wouldn't be here. You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yes, cognitively I get it. I realize that that this is part of living, but I'm like, but it's my dad. Um, (laughs) not my dad like someone else's dad but not my dad and so I I try to I have this like rule in my life that if you don't say it out loud it doesn't become true and so I would just try to avoid the reality and um I think what how you go forward is first of all my my 
my belief. When you're a believer, you know that we will see each other again, and I know we'll be together, and I know my dad is where he needs to be. He's in a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the idea that um, I'm okay and he's okay, my mother's okay, um, even though he's not with us and, um, and my siblings as well, I think we just um, we we focus on the blessings of having him all these years and every day we had and some people don't have that some people didn't have their I had my father for fifty eight years I mean a lot of people don't get that opportunity so focus on the good and be thankful and grateful for every day we had and how fortunate I was to have a man like him in influencing my life that's awesome. Oh man, you gave me chills. So um, we are—we uh, I said this ten minutes ago, but we're we're out of time with you, and I'm so sorry. I hate that because I think we could do this all day. Um, but we end every show the exact same way. So we ask all of our guests five questions. Okay, speed okay. story is what we call it. Okay. Um, so just first instinct, whatever comes to mind. Okay? okay. So let's go. I'll start. What is the last book you read or listened to? Um, I just finished reading. I know I'm behind the times because it's been a bestseller forever. I just finished reading Where the Crawdads Sing, and it's fab, fabulous book. If you haven't read it, have not. Highly I haven't recommend it. What's it? I've, what's it about? It's a wonderful story about a, a young woman growing up largely alone, mm-hmm. and um, and all that she learns about life. Um, and it, it, I don't want to give away the story. You need to read it. It's a bestseller, and it's a quick read because you can't put it down. I can't wait. I love it. All right. What would you do right now? Not literally this second, but what would you do in your life if you weren't afraid? <laughs> if fear. I oh, screw fear. Yes. <laughs> Not afraid. If I wasn't afraid, I would think about it. I think if I wasn't afraid, I would, um, I would stop working now and spend my life in a volunteer role. But I am afraid of giving up this because sure. I like working. But I think if I really wasn't afraid yeah. um, of what that might mean, I would, I, would, I would be a volunteer all day, every day. At Ronald McDonald House. <laughs> That's yeah. where I'd start, for sure. <laughs> what a neat response. Love it. All right. What is your favorite place on earth? Besides French Lake, Indiana. <laughs> Gosh, my favorite place on earth is very simple, I think. Uh, I love my front porch. I love to sit on my front porch, and I love my view. I love my neighborhood. I love my... I love where I live, and I love being there. So, yeah. I'm stealing this question from you. It's my favorite one to ask. Well, we skipped one. What's one thing, that, and then you then you ask it, but what's one thing that people, if they knew that you did, yeah. that they would think you're crazy or weird? Like something goofy <laughs> yeah. about you. Um, I, I say this is a southern Indiana thing, but I eat cottage cheese on baked potatoes, and I think I love it. It's like my comfort food, and... If you didn't grow up doing that, you think it's weird. Yeah. But you try it sometime. I think we did it because we never had sour cream. <laughs> and so we used cottage cheese on a baked potato, and it's fab. Do try you mix it. cottage cheese and fruit? I think that's weird, too. Yes. I not. I don't like it as much as yeah, potatoes. <laughs> we'll have to try it. <laughs> I know it's weird. All right, Brooke, here you go. Okay, my favorite question. When it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, that I made a difference. I, I think that that's important. Um, you know, I, I kind of used this quote when in our uh, Dancing with the Stars thing. Um, 
I think that you, I, I tell my girls this, right? It's important that you live your life in all caps. Um, be noticed and make a difference no matter what you're doing. I Don't just be on the team. And, and I don't mean you have to be the best player, but make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I hope that when I leave this earth that um, the people that knew me felt like that happened in the places that I touched and the organizations I w- touched and um, the relationships that I touched. Well, we are, we are living proof, um, both kind of personally and professionally, of your influence. And so, Marcy, we're so honored and grateful you're here with us. Um, we, yeah, I feel, I feel better for having this time with you, and I'm sure our listeners will feel the same. Thanks for sharing your story with Thank us. You. Thank you for letting me share my story and, um, and for, for giving us this opportunity. Because as I told you, Justin, I love, I love the, what you bring, and I love the way you write, and I love how heartfelt it always is. And I usually cry when I read your blogs and, and things that aren't even related to our stories. And, um, and I just um, I appreciate having the opportunity to share that with you guys today. So thank so you. So good. Thank you, Marcy. Thanks.